The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 5, David Platt explores Scripture's teaching on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. After looking at the mystery behind the Spirit's identity, as well as the way the Spirit has been viewed historically by the Church, this study focuses on the person and work of the Spirit. Finally, a number of significant issues related to the Spirit are addressed. Blasphemy against the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, filling with the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. For The Secret Church 5, study guide, and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC5. And this is Secret Church 5, Episode 7. Spirit guides individuals, the Spirit guides the church. Acts 15, 28 is a great, great verse. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is the church making a decision and saying it was good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do this. And Acts 20, 28. Here's the question. How specific is God's will for your life? And I just want to throw something practical in here. This is one of the biggest questions that I think we wrestle with. Okay, if the Spirit is guiding us, how do I know what He's guiding me to do? How do I make decisions? And we've come up with all kinds of different methods for discovering what the Spirit's doing. We've got the random finger method. Just kind of, you know, do that whole deal. And this is what the Spirit's guiding me to do. A buddy of mine who did that, put his finger, Romans 8, 25. Now, background here, there was a girl he really wanted to date, and she wanted nothing to do with him. And so he does the random finger method, and comes to Romans 8, 25, and it says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so he's, he just experiences this illuminating moment, this is it, I'm just supposed to wait for it patiently. Only problem is he waited, 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 and she... She wasn't apparently responding to that particular move of the Spirit. And it never happened. The only problem is, Romans 8 is not talking about waiting on a girl to be interested in you. It's talking about like waiting for the redemption of our bodies and heaven. So, so don't do the random finger method and just twist Scripture. Uh, the miraculous event method, you know, maybe a burning bush is going to come about. And some, anybody seen a burning bush? Like that talks to you? Okay, apparently not the most popular method. So probably not the striking coincidence method. This is a good one. This is a good one. One night, say you're, you're, I know there's college students here tonight. Say you're struggling with what to major in. You want to either major in English or math. And uh, uh, for some reason, uh, <laughs> you would like to major in that. And, uh, and you go to bed one night and you wake up. And you roll over. In the middle of the night, you just wake up all of a sudden, you roll over and you look at the clock and it says 2.22. You think, well, that's kind of weird. You go back to sleep. And the next night you go to bed and you wake up in the middle of the night and you roll over and it, it says 3.33. You're thinking, wow, this is, this is cr- pretty crazy. So you go to bed the next night and wake up in the middle of the night and you roll over and it says 4 44. You get out of bed on your knees. Math. It is math. Thank you, Spirit of God. Maybe, maybe the Spirit is telling you to drink some NyQuil and get some sleep. (laughs) To stick with the college student analogy. You're walking down campus and you're just praying. Guys, you're, you're praying about your future wife. And 
you're walking on campus and you start kicking this Sprite can that somebody has littered there. And you're kicking it and then you look up and there's this group of girls. And there's one girl with this bright green jacket on that reflects the Sprite can, you think. This is it. <laughs> only, only problem here is your theology is now built on God causing someone to litter at the very place that you were going to walk. And it's a good thing they littered a Sprite can instead of a Coke drinker throwing some down. You'd have looked at the wrong girl and the whole universe would have been messed up. So, okay, maybe not the Shrek coincidence method. Cast the fleece method. Well, that's biblical, right? Well, no, that's a, that's a picture of Gideon's lack of faith, not faith. Open door, closed door method. We got all kinds of methods. Let's try the read your Bible method. Read your Bible method and live in the spirit method. So how does that look? How does that look? How, does, how specific? And then think about it. How specific is God's will for our life? I mean, does God, does the spirit of God really lead us in everything? Yes? No. If he leads us in everything, does that mean the Spirit is the one who tells us whether or not to go to Moe's or Chipotle? <laughs> where do we go? Spirit, where are you telling me to go? Does, how, how does this work? How do we know where the Spirit of God is leading us to go? So, what kind of rice do you want? So, <laughs> Spirit of God, show me the rice. So, here's what I would encourage you to do real quickly. I want to take you back to the doctrine of God stuff that we talked about before. Remember the two wills of God. God's revealed will, what he declares in his word. We talked about how God reveals his will to us in his word. He gives us commands that are in his word. This is his will. At the same time, you've got God's secret will is what we call it. It's not perfect terminology, but what he decrees in the world. Because there are things that happen in the world that don't go according to the word. Does that mean they're outside his will? No, they're in his will, but they're against his word. And so you've got God's revealed will, what he declares in his word, and his secret will, what he decrees in the world. Now, God's secret will, that second facet, is absolutely specific. Nothing happens apart from God's activity. Nothing happens accidentally. You've got scriptures that are mentioned all throughout there. Just as God has planned it, so it will stand, Isaiah 14, 24 says. Nothing is happening accidentally. There's nothing happening that is out of the control of God and his sovereignty. Nothing happening accidentally. Everything happens purposefully. God is working in all things, everything, purposefully. So that's his secret will. Now his declared will. When it declares in his word, his revealed will, what we got in the word here, that's clearly specific. Now, this is good news for everybody, who, everybody in this room who's looking to find God's will. The good news is it's not lost. It's not lost. So walk in it is what Scripture's telling us. Walk in his will. So how do I know? Okay, with that understanding, so all that to say, there are some things we do. We will never do anything outside of the decreed will of God here. But there are times when we certainly disobey the revealed, declared will of God. Make sense? So how, what is the Spirit leading me to do? God's revealed will for your life. This is what God's revealed will is in his word, clearly. Be saved. Be spirit-filled. This is key. Be spirit-filled. He has put his presence in you to guide you. Be sanctified, he tells us. Be holy. This is the part of the work of the Spirit as we've already seen. And be submissive. 
By submissive, I mean wherever the Spirit leads, tells you to go, you go because you're submissive. Saved, Spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive. So when it comes to specific decisions, okay, what do I do? If, if I have a decision to make, where do I go to college and it's not in here? Or who do I marry and it's not in this book? Or do I go to Chipotle or Moe's? What do I do? Making specific decisions. Number one, consult the Word. Consult the word. Does God's revealed will, i.e. scripture, prohibit this action? Does it tell you what to do or not to do? Will this action cause you to neglect a command in God's revealed will? If the word addresses it, obey the word. That's clear. The spirit will always lead you according to this book. Always. Always, always, always. The spirit will always lead us according to this book. So if this book has anything to say about it, then follow the book. Obey the word. Second, exercise wisdom. In areas where it's not as clear there, move on in a second. Exercise wisdom. Pray confidently. Ask the spirit of wisdom in you. Gather information, as much information as you can. Consider all your options. Seek godly counsel and choose wisely. Here's the thing. The spirit is good in us. Proverbs 2, 1 through 11. We don't have time to read through that. Put a star by that passage. And if you have struggled with guidance in your life, go back and read Proverbs 2, 1 through 11. Maybe even memorize it. It's an incredible passage of Scripture. Incredible confidence here that leads to this last encouragement. You consult the Word. You exercise wisdom. And you say, Spirit of God, I, I want you to lead me and guide me and show me what to do. Then do what you want. Do what you want. If you're saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, and submissive, then you can have freedom to follow the Spirit. You don't have to spend half an hour in prayer trying to decide where the Spirit's leading you to go to lunch. Like, just go. <laughs> and let the Spirit lead you. The reality is, I mean, let's be honest, 95% of our behavior, we don't premeditate. And this is the beauty of the Spirit of God being in us. This is why we don't have a road map. God says, do this, 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 this. Instead, he says, I'll put my Spirit in you and I will lead you. I'll guide your thinking, your thoughts, your decision making. Be saved. Be Spirit-filled. Be submissive to me. Be sanctified. Pursue holiness. If you're indulging in sin over here and asking for God's direction over here, you missed the point. God's direction is clear. Get rid of the sin. Get rid of the sin. The Spirit's leading you to do that. And then walk in the Spirit. The Spirit guides us like that. Okay. The Spirit intercedes. Next. The Spirit intercedes. The Spirit enables us to pray according to the Father's will. Pray according to the Father's will. That's what I mean by intercedes. What Scripture means. The Spirit intercedes. Son intercedes for us. I've got Romans 8.32 there. I meant to put Romans 8.34. But the Son is interceding for us according to Romans 8.34. And the Spirit intercedes within us. This is Romans 8.26 and 27. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I think this is one of the most comforting passages in Scripture. We continually face times in each of our lives and circumstances where we don't know how to pray. We don't even know sometimes what to pray for. Sometimes we may not even have the desire. And the Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now the question is, how does that work? How does the Spirit intercede for us? What happens when He does that? When the Spirit intercedes for our good. In order to understand what the Spirit is doing in intercession, we've got to tie Romans 8, 26 and 27 to Romans 8, 28. 
We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now here's the picture. The Father, our Father wants what is best for us as his children, always. And the Father always gives what is best. We sometimes don't know what is best for us. We oftentimes don't know what is best for us. And so what the Spirit does is, the Spirit, in, our, in, in interceding for us, groans that words cannot express. This is the picture. We don't know what's best in our lives. And the beauty of it is, God gives us the Holy Spirit to guide our praying. He conforms our prayers Two, he knows what is best for us because he's interceding for the saints in accordance with God's what? Will. And his will is to work all things together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now the secret to prayer, this is side note, then bring it in here. The secret to prayer is this. You want to get everything you ask for in prayer. Here's the secret. You ready? Make your wants God's wants. Two steps. Make your wants God's wants. And then two, pray for whatever you want. You'll get it. That's the secret. Make your wants God's wants, and then pray for whatever you want. And you'll get it. First John 5. We know whatever we ask. We know that we have what we asked of him. You can be confident in that. And the Spirit makes this a reality. Because the Spirit transforms our wants into God's wants. And the Spirit then helps us to pray for what God wants. The Spirit transforms our prayers according to the Father's will and our lives. This is where his interceding work is tied with his sanctifying work, which is what Romans 8, 29, and 30 talks about. Now, very practically, where does that come to? Should we pray to the Spirit? Should we pray to the Spirit? Do we pray to the Spirit? On one hand, the answer is yes, because the Spirit is God. So, theologically, it's not wrong to pray for the, to the Spirit because the Spirit is God. On the other hand, in Scripture, no one prays to the Spirit. There's actually only a limited number of times where anybody prays specifically to Jesus as the addressee in prayer. Stephen in Acts 7, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 2. But most often, and you don't see people praying to the Spirit, it's praying to the Father. Now, now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak with great boldness. And the Spirit comes upon them and enables them to do that. But the picture is, how should we pray? Here's where I think Scripture most encourages us to pray. Not that it's wrong because the Spirit is God. Not that it's necessarily theologically wrong. But Scripture really doesn't give us a pattern of praying to the Spirit. And so what Scripture teaches us to do is, number one, pray to the Father. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Pray to the Father. Pray in the name of the Son. We approach the Father with confidence. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16, through 16 says, pray to the Father in the name of the Son in dependence on the Spirit. Pray to the Father in the name of the Son in dependence on the Spirit. And the Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit unifies. What does that mean? The Spirit creates a profound oneness in the people of God. Holy Spirit creates a fellowship there. There's a great quote there about the ecclesia, the church, the gathering of God's people. It's never conceived of in the New Testament as an institution, but exclusively as a fellowship of persons, as a common life based in fellowship with Jesus Christ, as a fellowship of the Spirit and a fellowship of Christ. Here's what the Spirit does in the church. He destroys barriers. This is so clear. Those two passages in Acts 15 and Ephesians chapter 2. Acts 15 is, is when the Spirit leads 
the church to receive the Gentiles and not put a bunch of extra rules on them. Ephesians chapter 2, you read that passage, Paul is writing to a congregation there in Ephesus that was part Jew, had a lot of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. The Gentile Christians felt like second-class Christians. And he's saying, you're together in this thing. We both have access to the Father by one spirit. One spirit. So he destroys the barriers between Jews and Gentiles that were so huge in that day. We don't even realize what mammoth stuff is going on here in Acts 15 and Ephesians 1 and 2. We don't realize the divide that was there. The spirit is destroying. It destroys barrier, barriers and it brings peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Here's the effect of the spirit's work in the church. The spirit brings. What does the spirit do in the church? He brings unprecedented unity with one another. You see that picture in Acts 2, 44 through 47. Unity and unselfish dependence on one another. We're all baptized by one spirit in one body, given one spirit to drink. Think about this with me. How does the spirit unify the church? How does he do it? He does it by doing all of these other things. He regenerates us. He sanctifies us. He's making us more and more like Christ. As we're all beholding the glory of Christ and becoming more and more like Christ, he's comforting each of us. He is strengthening us in that way. He's teaching each of us, teaching us the same truth. He's guiding each of us. He's interceding for each of us. Unity in the church is the supernatural byproduct of the Spirit in our lives. This is not some man-contrived, man-manufactured unity that we need, to, we need to come together and try to figure out how to get unified. We need to get in step with the Spirit, and the Spirit will unify us. We need to be obedient to the Spirit, and the Spirit will do this. Spirit unifies. Next, the Spirit bears fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's the deal. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is a contrast with Galatians 5, 19 through 21, which happens right before that, where Paul talks about the works of the flesh are these things and the fruit of the Spirit are these things. So, fruit of the Spirit is supernaturally produced. There's a contrast here. The, what it means for the Spirit to bear fruit, he produces the life of Christ in every facet of our character. Supernaturally, works of our flesh are natural. They're man-made. What the Spirit is doing, is He's doing supernatural things. The fruit of the Spirit is extraordinarily expressed. Extraordinarily. Not ordinary, but extraordinary. And the works of the flesh are ordinary. What happens is, the Spirit doesn't, doesn't give us some man-manufactured love. He gives us, bears in us supernatural extraordinary love. And you see this contrast between that which is the flesh and the spirit. We're going to fly through these, but just think about it when it comes to love. Fleshly love is conditional. Spiritual love, supernatural, extraordinary love is unconditional. Fleshly love, conditional. Spiritual love, unconditional. Joy. Fleshly joy is susceptible to circumstances. Spiritual joy supersedes circumstances. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit in Acts 13, 52. What's wild about that is that is just after Paul and Barnabas have been persecuted and, ex and expelled from a region. And they walk away filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Supersedes circumstances. Peace. Fleshly peace is partial and fleeting. Spiritual peace is complete and eternal. Partial and fleeting. Complete and eternal. Mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Peace and joy. Do we want peace? conquers our anxiety and our worry. It comes from the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, fleshly patience is triggered by a short fuse. Spiritual patience preserved, perseveres through long suffering. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Kindness. 
Fleshly kindness is quick to condemn. Spiritual kindness is quick to show compassion. Compassion flowing. Goodness. Fleshly goodness. I know we're flying through these, but we're getting near the end of this, this, this section. Fleshly goodness produces inevitable hypocrisy. Spiritual goodness produces consistent integrity. And integrity, that which is good, not hypocritical. Light, children of light, righteousness, truth, faithfulness. Fleshly faithfulness creates inevitable doubt. Spiritual faithfulness reflects consistent devotion. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Consistent devotion. Gentleness, fleshly gentleness asserts power with arrogance. Spiritual gentleness surrenders to real power with humility. We humble ourselves before the Lord. Our gentleness is expressed in humility. Not having to assert our power, but to submit to his power. Self-control, fleshly self-control indulges in excessive pursuits. Spiritual self-control expresses disciplined passion. That phrase, disciplined passion, that's self-control. We crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit with new passions, but they're disciplined, controlled passions. Obviously, this fruit is a portrait of Christ. Portrait of Christ. And it's extremely important that, well, we'll talk about that later. The Spirit bears fruit in us. The Spirit produces the life, the character of Christ in every facet of our character. Next, the Spirit gives gifts. We're really not going to talk about this much because we're going to talk about this in the next section. By His grace, the Holy Spirit equips every Christian to edify the church for the glory of Christ. Spiritual gifts are given by God's Spirit. He's the one who gives them, and they're given according to God's sovereignty. He gives them as Christ is apportioned to them. Ephesians chapter 4. The Spirit gives gifts. The Spirit incites worship. The Spirit leads the church to glorify God through Jesus Christ. This is the great picture in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. What comes right after that? Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We... We want to define worship according to external circumstances. Where do you worship? What kind of music do you have? Do you like this or that about worship? Jesus redefines worship according to internal circumstances because worship is dependent not on what kind of instruments you have or what kind of building you have or how many million dollars the sound system or the building or the, all the trappings are. Instead, the reality of his presence is what incites worship in us. Regardless of where you are, the reality of his presence and the response of our hearts the response of our hearts. This is the picture. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. That's, that's great news for those who are not very gifted in making music. The mouth, it's heart, it's important. So just remember that. When we are filled with the Spirit, here's what we do. We express praise with one another. We express praise speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You want to see the work of the Spirit? See people praising God with one another and extending thanks to God. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. We worship in spirit and truth. Worship without the Spirit is hypocrisy. Worship without the Spirit is hypocrisy. If we worship without the Spirit, we are hypocritical. We are a dead people. Worship without the spirit is hypocrisy. Worship without the truth is idolatry. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.